turn to your church Bibles, and we are reading from Romans 12, um, from verse 9, and it can be found on page 1139. Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honour one another above yourself. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual favour, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not pay, repay e- every, sorry. Do not repay anyone with evil, anyone evil for evil. Be careful to those. Uh, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it is depends on you. Live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. On a hot, muggy night in June 2015, Dylan Roof walked into the basement of Emmanuel Church in Charleston, South Carolina, and joined a dozen Wednesday evening Bible study members as they studied Mark 4. The teacher, Myra Thompson, warmly welcomed the five-foot-nine, pale-faced man. He sat quietly during the Bible study, saying nothing. His facial expression was blank. At 9pm, Myra ended the Bible study, standing with the others to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, they prayed, hallowed be thy... And then suddenly, Ruth pulled a handgun from his bag, piercing the quiet hall with an exploding bang, bang, bang. He opened fire on the praying members, shooting each person multiple times at point-blank range, shouting hateful racial slurs. He killed eight church members immediately, including Myra Thompson. A ninth victim died shortly afterwards. When Myra's husband, the Reverend Anthony Thompson, arrived home, a friend telephoned him. There's been a shooting at Emmanuel Church, he said. Anthony rushed to the church, and when he discovered his wife's murder, he fell to the pavement and cried. After being arrested the next morning, Dylan Roof laughed and bragged about the murders claiming he'd hoped to start a race war. City and state police braced themselves for racial riots they expected to follow in Charleston, fearing bloodshed and violence that they'd witnessed in other cities after racially motivated crimes had been committed. But to the world's amazement, Charleston didn't erupt in violence. On the Friday, just less than 48 hours after the murders, Anthony attended Ruth's bond hearing. 
a video camera from the detention centre linked roof to the courtroom. The judge invited the members, the victims, members of family to speak directly to Roof through an audio connection. And although Anthony didn't intend to say anything, he felt led by God to walk forward. I forgive you, Anthony told Dylan, and my family forgives you. But we would like you to take this opportunity to repent, repent, confess, give your life to the one who matters most, Jesus Christ, so that he can change it and change your attitude. And no matter what happens to you, then you'll be okay. Do that and you'll be better off than you are right now. Several other family members at the hearing also offered their forgiveness. Let's bow our heads as we pray as we start. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this amazing story of forgiveness. They could have taken revenge, but they chose peace. Help us now as we think about this mark of godliness, peace. Renew our, renew our minds, Lord, change our hearts, and help us to live at peace with everyone. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder who you feel you've been wronged by. I'm conscious that some of us here might have been wronged in very big and very painful ways. And the rest of us may have been wronged in smaller ways. But I guess we can all think of people who make us feel angry about how they've treated us and whom we struggle to relate to without that anger coming out towards them. In a fallen world, being wronged and being sinned against is always going to be part of our experience. And that's why God has inspired so many different parts of the Bible to help us to deal with it. And God challenges us here in Romans to live lives of peace with everyone, focusing on loving our church family members and loving our enemies. So we're in Paul's letter to the church in Rome, and it's on page 1139. It was a cosmopolitan city with a church full of folk from a mix of backgrounds and different cultures. There were some that came to follow Jesus from Jewish backgrounds, And there were some that came to follow, the majority really, that came to follow Jesus from non-Jewish, from Gentile backgrounds. And as well as the varied social classes and cultures and backgrounds that all mixed in, there was a big difference of theology. So Paul's letter to the Romans is a full and fresh statement about the gospel and its implications in this varied church. And in the first 11 chapters, Paul shows how sinful we humans are, but then also the breadth and the depth of God's amazing mercy and his amazing love. Romans 12 verse 1 comes at the end of this, where it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now imagine we've climbed a mountain. I was thinking about Claire and Hamish climbing Ben Nevis earlier this year. We get to the top, but it's not an amazing view of Scotland in the sunshine and the glory. It's actually an amazing view of God's mercy, God's mercy and love. And that's what it's a bit like here. In chapters 1 to 11, Paul has spelled out step by step how God has revealed his way of putting sinners right with him. How Christ died for sins. How there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. How we're all children of Abraham. And how we have peace with God. Romans 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And at the heart of the gospel is the fact that we do have peace with God. There was hostility 
and enmity. We were enemies of God in sin. But Jesus' offer is to everyone to have peace with God. And then comes Romans 12, verse 1. In view of God's mercy, in view of all these amazing things, the gospel, God's love, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. So in response to all God's done, they view the amazing things that we've seen about God's love. They're to, they're to offer their bodies as living sacrifices, offer their lives in response. And everything is radically changed by this gospel, including how we relate to others. And part of that is living lives of peace. But what exactly does God say about living lives of peace in Romans 12? Our passage, verses 9 to 21, sort of splits in two with the first half, 9 16, primarily looking at our relationship to one another in the church. And then the other half, verses 17 to 21, looking at the, our relationship to our enemies. And at the heart of both is a command to live at peace with others. Verse 16 says, live in harmony with one another. And at the end of verse 18, it says, live at peace with everyone. So Paul is saying to the church in Rome, you have peace with God, now live lives of peace with everyone. So firstly, living lives of peace inside the church, verses 9 to 16. Loving the church family. Love is crucial in the Christian community. Verse, verse 10 says, be devoted to one another in love. Like a close-knit family's love, the church is to have a devotion to each other. And this love is to be genuine, real love. As it says in the verse before, verse 9, love must be sincere. Then Paul goes on to highlight different ways of loving members of the church family. The first group that Paul focuses on are those believers in need in verse 13. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Sharing others' needs, whether needs are emotional or material needs. Then it says practice hospitality. If generosity is shown to the needy, then hospitality is shown to visitors. A kind welcome to all. And this isn't something that maybe the Roman church excels in, but they're to practice it, they're to do it, they're to make a habit of it. Third is sympathising with people, whatever they're going through. That's verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. That's celebrating in the good times, commiserating in the tough times. And fourth, in a church with a mix of backgrounds and social standing as as the church in Rome was, to associate with people of a low position. And I think the barriers to this practical love um, that they would have had was pride. The Roman church wouldn't share generously. It wouldn't be caring if they put themselves first. So humility is absolutely key. And that's why Paul says in verse 10, honour one another above yourselves. And in verse 16, do not be proud but be willing to associate with people of low position. People who, in the eyes of the Roman world, were impressive and important, were to honour and put above themselves those who weren't considered to be important and to spend time with them. So Paul writes to the Romans to love the church family with humility. But how about living lives of peace to those outside the church, loving enemies? Well, the first thing that's very clear is that retaliation and revenge are out of the question for followers of Jesus. It's made clear four times. In verse 14, it says, do not curse. In verse 17, it says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. And then over the page, on verse 19, it says, do not take revenge. And then verse 21, do not be overcome by evil. 
Now, there is a place for the punishment of evil, and Paul goes on to talk about that in Romans 13, but not in our personal conduct. Now, each of the do-nots I mentioned are accompanied by a positive counterpart. So in verse 19, where it says, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. So Paul here is instructing the Roman church to leave justice to God, to leave justice to God. The church is not the ruler and the judge of enemies. Humans aren't responsible for personal retribution. God is. He is God. He's the creator. He's the ruler. He's the king of the world. He's the ultimate one that's wronged when humans sin. So God has a right to judge, and God will judge everyone. It's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Leave justice to God. So what then can the believers in Rome do? Verse 20 helps us. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In response to being wronged, Christians are to do good, to love and to bless those people in practical ways. But what about the phrase, to heap burning coals on someone's head? What on earth does that mean? Well, Paul's quoting one of the Old Testament Proverbs, and the book of Proverbs seems to borrow various expressions from uh, Egyptian writing of the time. And in Egypt, there was a ceremony for showing that you're ashamed of something you'd done and had changed your mind about it. And that ceremony was to sort of carry a bowl of coals on your head. Don't ask me why. Um, but I take that, that what Paul's saying there is that about doing good to people who wrong believers in the hope that it will shame them into changing their mind. Not just thinking that will be, that will be good because it will be easier for them to live with, but thinking that will be good for them because it may be a step on the way to them turning back to Jesus. So what have we heard God say about peace? Followers of Jesus are to live lives of peace with everyone, loving the church family, loving enemies with humility. And all this points to Jesus' amazing example. One of Jesus' names is the Prince of Peace, and he lived the most incredible life of peace on earth, loving others and blessing his enemies and honouring God in complete humility. We see this in Philippians 2, verses 6 to 8. It speaks of Jesus who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus was God. He had everything this world would be proud of. His background, his father was the creator of the universe. His job, he's the sustainer of the universe. His influence, he had all the power in the world. And yet, he made himself nothing. He didn't consider some equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. He honoured others above himself. He put others first and dearly loved those he shared his life with. He loved practically feeding and teaching. He mourned and cried with loved ones when they, when they died. He celebrated at weddings. He spent time with outcasts, with the sick, with lonely, with prostitutes, with tax collectors. He did not come to be served, but to serve. He laid down his life. 
He had enemies, but he blessed them. As he was being crucified, he prayed for those who were killing him, asking God to forgive them. He left the justice to God, praying, yet not my will, but yours be done. He taught, blessed are those who curse you. Bless those who curse you. Blessed are the peacemakers. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. And the pinnacle of all this is at the cross. Through Jesus' death, he brings peace, satisfying God's just justice and reconciling the church to God. And for all of us, Jesus invites us to live lives of peace with everyone, loving the church family and loving our enemies in response to what he's done. But what will it look like to live lives of peace with everyone? Well, Anthony Thompson, who I mentioned at the start with that amazing example of peace, what's he do now? He continues to pray for Dylan Roof, hoping that he will come and accept God's forgiveness and receive uh, God's offer of salvation. Despite Dylan Roof showing no remorse, he forgave him. He chose to forgive the sinner Dylan Roof because Jesus had chosen to forgive the sinner Anthony Thompson. What Anthony Thompson said was, scripture tells me that I am a sinner forgiven by Christ and saved by grace. Therefore, I'm obliged to forgive others who hurt me. I thought another great example that Max mentioned actually was the example of the Good Samaritan as an amazing story of a life of peace and action. So a man's been beaten up, he's left for dead on the side of the road, and the Samaritan, in his busy life, could have easily walked past as two others had done before, but instead he shows humility. He gives up time and money to practically help and care for this person. And this is despite the person being so different in a different social group that was an enemy and having very little in common with this person. He sympathised and showed real love. He paid for the transport, for the accommodation, visited this person, showed real love. What about for us? What would it look like to live lives of peace with everyone? As I said at the start, I'm conscious that some of us will have been wronged in very big and very painful ways. But all of us will have felt wronged in some different ways and have stuff that hurts us and makes us feel angry. If someone wrongs us, even hates us and is doing all they can to harm us, even to destroy the church, to destroy us, we're to love them. We're to follow the example of Jesus. We're to pray for them. We're to pray for their good. And that doesn't mean, I guess, being weak and being compromising any more than Jesus was. And it's certainly very, very hard. But that's the demand. Whatever someone's attitude and behavior towards us, we're to love them back. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. At work, we may have or or may know a boss that is, quite frankly, a bully. They belittle us. They never thank us. They pick holes in everything we do. We're to love them. We may have been hurt really badly due to the breakdown of a relationship or the breakdown of a friendship. And it it can be very, very hard And we may feel very unfairly treated and wronged. But God tells us not to retaliate. Internally, even in our hearts, we're to leave justice to God. He's their ruler. He's their judge. And we're to love them. And please note one thing that God does say. God says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Because it doesn't just depend on you. Which is why sometimes all we can do is forgive You can't make the other person do 
what they have to sometimes to form a, a, a relationship and make it restored. And so we shouldn't feel guilty um, or have a false sense of responsibility if that is the case, if we can't fix a relationship or a friendship. But we can control how we treat people, even if we can't tr- control how they react. So in every confrontational, uh, confrontation where we feel wronged, whether it's a, from a board game, in sports, in a relationship, in, in, uh, in work, we aren't to be passive-aggressive, we aren't to try and win the argument. We're to be loving, we're to pray for them, we're to pray for their good. How about loving in our church family? We've got to be sensitive to the experiences that everyone's going through. Our love will take account of that and will react differently and treat people differently according to what's going on in their lives. So that means trying to make what someone else is going through central to our friendship rather than putting what we want in the centre. So if we're both trying to do that, if we're both trying to put what, what the other people's um, sort of perspective is and what they're going through, then we'll be a blessing to one another. But whatever someone's going through, whether it's good or whether it's bad, we're to love people appropriately. We're to rejoice with those who rejoice. We're to mourn with those who mourn. And whatever someone's circumstances, we're to love them. And that may mean someone is better off than us or someone's worse off than us. They may have a higher status job than us. They may have a lower status job than us. They may have no job at all. And it's hard to love someone you're inclined to envy. And it's also hard to love someone who, in our heart, we look down on as inferior. But there's no place for arrogance or pride in a loving heart. Whatever people's situation in life, we're to look on them with the loving eyes of Jesus. So often we're an amazing, loving church. For example, I think it's great when folk from the evening service help with children's church in the morning. To folk outside the church, it must seem so strange. Madness, spending Sunday morning when you could be having brunch or having a lion with seemingly insignificant youngsters. Or on the church house party each year, seeing morning and evening service, young and old, very diverse backgrounds, coming together, sitting together, eating together, talking. Or like last week at the, house, uh, the holiday club at St Barnabas, people helping out, spending time during their week to do that. Or the way that we pray and support our mission partners like the London City Mission or the work they do, like the Pimlico Foundation. There's some amazing, uh, loving things that we do as a church that we definitely need to keep doing and do more of. I thought what would be good to close is to reread this passage all together. And as we do, to think how we can live lives of peace with everyone. So if you could all join me, we're going to start at verse 9 and just read through those verses again all together. So it's page 1139 if you've closed it. Um, But starting at verse 9, let's go for it. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be hopeful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, 
Live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let me pray as we close.